0: Their confidence was high, and rightfully so. After all, they were a part of the first century religious council that oversaw everything in Jerusalem. Not only did they have religious power, but they also had great political power in the first century there in Jerusalem. And the group that was a part of that first century religious council, they they had amazing backgrounds. They came from the right families. They were educated in the best of the best when it came to the Jewish educational system. They were quite wealthy, and they had enormous power, the kind of power where they got to decide what was allowed and what wasn't allowed, the kind of power where they determined who was in and who was out. And they used this power to keep the religious establishment a certain way. And they took great pride in the fact that they made decisions for God and that they, in their minds, were closer to God than anyone else. And what they had to do at times were just extinguish others that rose up and tried to to bring a different message or a new teaching. And one day there was this prophet named Jesus. And Jesus began Began to talk about a lot of things and they were amazed by his teaching. They said that he spoke as one who had an incredible authority and they were amazed by that and they were a little bit uh, impressed with his miracles but then he began to do some things that they weren't so impressed with because they were the ones they thought in their minds that God had ordained to be the decision makers and to make sure the boundaries didn't move when it came to the religious establishment. And so when this prophet Jesus great teacher, whatever, he starts healing people on the Sabbath. And that goes against what they are trying to maintain. And so at that point in time, they start making decisions like we can't allow this. Let's make a plan to get rid of this guy. And that's still the plan as they move forward. And then one day they realize that he claims to be the son of God and they can't have that because they know how this works. They are the ones who speak for God. And because he's risen up, hey, he could have been a teacher. He could have still performed miracles. But when he claimed to be the son of God and tried to undo everything that we're trying to control at that point in time, we had to get rid of him. And so they do get rid of him. And all is back to normal, at least for a little while. But one of the things this religious council realizes in the first century is that there are some followers of his. And as we'll see next week in the message, sometimes people would rise up. Followers would come on board, the leader would die, the thing would disband, but this thing has not disbanded. It is still going strong. They get wind of this, that there are people that are teaching about, yes, he died, but he has been raised from the dead and and there's some kind of power associated with his name And, and he's unlike anyone else that's ever been on the scene. And because of that, now they've got to figure out a way to take care of his followers because they know that if they begin to lose control and power, they will lose. One day outside the temple, they get word that there's a man that's been crippled from birth, but now he can see. And they get word of this. And here's what they know. Everyone in Jerusalem knows this man because nearly everyone has walked into this temple. And this man has been carried to lie outside the temple at the gate called Beautiful for the last year, like several years of of the temple's existence. And this man would be there day after day after day. And so everyone's seen him. Well, when Peter and John, two of the followers of this prophet Jesus that they thought they had killed off, when they come and they see this man, the man looks at them, they look at the man and the man says, do you have any money? Peter says to them, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we give you. So in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this man who had to be carried every day, who sat there outside the temple at the gate called Beautiful, begging every day, just trying to get through the day with a little bit of food, with a little bit of water, with a little bit of money, he now stands to his feet. That causes a scene. And then he goes into the temple, maybe for the very first time, I'm guessing. And he doesn't just walk into the temple. He begins leaping in the temple. And the religious establishment has a problem with this. Because as this miracle happens and unfolds, thousands of people gather around Solomon's porch just on the east side of the temple. And those same guys get up and give another message about this Jesus that we crucified and God raised him from the dead. And all of a sudden, they're getting the attention, they're getting the ears, they're getting the audience of thousands of people that we have been trying to tell, this is how it works. And now they're hearing a contrary message to what we want them to know. We've got to do something about it. And these first century religious leaders who had high confidence all of a sudden begin to feel the grip of control going away. And what was amazing confidence begins to turn into lots of fear. Have you ever been in a place where you thought because of your pedigree, because of your educated background, because of your levels of success, because of the families that you were born into, because of the things that you're a part of, that you could kind of control how your future would work, and then all of a sudden you run into something and you realize your money can't take care of it? Your education and your degrees can't take care of it. Your network can't take care of it. No matter how much past success you had, it can't take care of this issue. And all of a sudden, you feel like you've lost the grip of control. Have you ever been there where confidence begins to turn into fear? And even though you have everything the world says you should have, it begins to fall away. Well, there was another group at the same time in the first century. And their confidence was non-existent. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. They weren't from amazing families. They had not been invited to partake in the great elite Jewish educational system. A number of them were fishermen. They didn't have a lot going on. But there was this one day where a prophet, a rabbi really shows up and asks them to follow. And if you were fishing for your entire career and someone gave you another option... You would take it. And so they take it. And when they take it, they didn't have a lot of things that they possessed, but they had families. They had a little bit of business that provided their income. They leave all of that behind, and they go and follow this man. And they begin to hear him teach with authority, and they begin to see the miracles that he performs. And they begin to understand that he's claiming to be the Messiah, and this gives them great hope because they've been waiting for the redemption and restoration of Israel their entire lives. But one day, this man gets arrested by this other group I just mentioned, the religious council. And they begin to scatter. They know this isn't going to end well, and it doesn't end well. Their leader, their rabbi, is arrested, and then he's crucified in the most horrific acts, on the cross. And all of a sudden, these guys find themselves in a room, locked in a room, no confidence, only fear. Have you ever been at that place where your confidence now was non-existent? You didn't have what it took to make it. You didn't have a litany of success in your past. You didn't have the thing, the little bit of hope that you did have has been extinguished. Have you ever been there? But there's a moment for these guys that changes everything about their present and certainly our future. There's a moment where they see the one who had died on the cross, who had been put into a tomb. They heard rumors that he's no longer there, but then that doesn't change everything. What changes everything is when he comes and stands in their midst saying, peace be with you. And they're overjoyed, and yet they can barely believe their eyes. And confidence begins to grow. Have you ever been there? I mean, I thought I was down and out, but I got a little glimmer of hope. What's a huge glimmer of hope for them? It's quite a light of hope. And what Jesus says to these followers for the 40 days or so that he's still on earth, post-resurrection, he says a couple things. One of the things he says to them is this. Hey, guys, I want you to know this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because I have that underneath you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And know this, I will be with you until the end of the day, forever and ever. Through the end of the ages, I am with you. And he also told them this one thing right before he left the scene called earth. He said to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you guys, yeah, you guys that have no reason to have confidence at all, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, the city that you live in, the city where you're afraid of just a couple of weeks ago, the city that you call home, you will be my witnesses here. But then it's going to spread to the region of Judea and then even over to Samaria. I know you don't like those people. They don't like you, but it's, it's headed there as well. And ultimately to the ends of the earth. And then the Spirit comes and fills those followers, even though Jesus, their leader, is nowhere on the scene. They begin to teach and preach the message that you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And you can have redemption. You can have your sins forgiven. And thousands of people respond to the gospel message and place their faith in Jesus. And their confidence grows, right? When you do something for the first time and it works... Your confidence grows, and so their confidence picks up steam. Peter preaches the first message. The only thing he's ever done when he's spoken before in his life is put his foot in his mouth. But this day, he gives an amazing message, and around 3,000 people get saved. Now, maybe Peter's exaggerating. It was closer to 2,000. But nonetheless, 3,000 people or so give their lives to Jesus. And then Peter and John, who used to live in that fear-based life where confidence was non-existent, they see this man... And he's there, and he looks at them, and they're like, you got any silver or gold, John? Peter's like, me neither. They're like, hey, bro, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And doesn't your confidence grow when you see something like that? The man who had sat outside the temple forever walks with him inside the temple, and he's like, guys, I'm not just walking. I'm leaping. And all of a sudden, you see a trajectory change of the confidence levels of the religious leaders and this band of followers of Jesus. One group has all the reason in the world initially to have all the confidence in the world. The other group has no reason to have confidence. But now things begin to shift. And I want to give you a principle that you probably know this morning. But I want to just make sure that you, it's actually true. Here here it is. Uh, Our level of confidence is dictated by what we assume is present or absent in our lives. This is just a just a. This is not like a, just a church statement, okay? Our level of confidence is dictated by what we assume is present or absent in our lives. If you think you, if you assume you have a ton of money in the bank, right? Hopefully, you've looked at the account online recently. But if you assume you have a ton in the bank, a ton of money in the bank, your financial confidence is high. If you have a killer resume, your confidence in getting an amazing prestigious job is fairly high. If you think you are God's gift to men or women, your dating confidence is high until someone tells you, "Mm -mm, you are not all that. But here's the underlying reality for today. If you assume that God is present in your life and he's for you, your confidence should be off the charts, no matter what the circumstances of your life are telling you. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open up to Acts 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Acts 4, we'll start in verse 13, we'll get to 22. I hope that you've seen just how we've set the scene for today. And we're going to come in to these two groups. I think you'll be amazed at what happens. And we're rallying around this idea of confidence today. Again, the two targets for me in the room this morning, because I think the text speaks to this. Some of you in the room, you are confident because you have all the things the world tells you you should need. But perhaps you're beginning to realize you don't have the grip of control you once thought you did. It's a little bit elusive. There are others of us in the room that don't feel like we have what it takes. We're not having an amazing financial year. We're not doing great at the office. We don't even have a job, perhaps. And what I think Jesus wants to do today as we continue this Unstoppable series is help some of you realize that your confidence is misguided ultimately. It's in the wrong things in terms of an ultimate source. And others of you for whom confidence right now is non-existent. And remember, there are so many areas of life. Some of you have no confidence when it comes to your faith. Some of you have no confidence in your ability to be a mom or dad. Some of you have no confidence at the office because you haven't won lately. And I think Jesus wants to speak into all of that wherever we might be. So stand with me. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 through 22. And just remember that principle. Our level of confidence is dictated by what we assume is either present or absent In our lives. So we've set the scene. Now, these first century followers of Jesus, these apostles, they're in the midst, like sitting in the midst of the religious council that we talked about first. Here's what happens. Now, when they, that's the religious council, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Let's learn some things about confidence when it comes to this movement Jesus has invited us into. Where the text begins, right? The, the, the religious council who had all the things that they thought they need to have to have great confidence, they're amazed that the disciples live with courage, boldness, and confidence because the, the disciples have zero things they should have to have confidence. Do you see that in the text? They realize that these are uneducated, talking about the followers of Jesus that are speaking this message. They're uneducated, common, ordinary men. Meaning, how in the world are they that bold and courageous? They have none of the things that we have. And yet the followers of Jesus' confidence is growing. And these other guys are like, oh man, where did they get that confidence they didn't get into the schools we got into. They weren't invited to participate with the rabbis that we were invited to live life with. They're just common men. And it says that in the verse 13, they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, when you don't really understand what's going on and you're a pastor, you're like, are people realizing that you've been with Jesus? That's not what's going on there. It's not like, oh, they had spent so much time in the presence of Jesus. So, they, I mean, there's a principle there. It just doesn't come from the text. That was the younger speaker version of Ben. It just means that they either recognize literally that they've been with him or because they're talking and teaching about him, obviously they have some exposure to him. It could even be that they remember seeing Peter the night he denied Jesus and any association that he might have with Jesus. One of the things we learned right off the bat in this text is that um, you, you don't have to be extraordinary to be used in the movement of Jesus. You don't have to be extraordinary to be used in the movement of Jesus, but you do have to be willing. You do have to be willing to step out in faith. You do have to be willing to go, hey, God, I don't have that much, but I give you what I do have. Do you remember the parable of the talents? The person who only got one thing, hit it, and Jesus is like, why didn't you invest it? You do have to be willing. But here's another thing. If you are one of those extraordinary people, you're not disqualified, you're just going to have a harder time in some ways because you're you, you've trusted in your own ability and yourself most of your life. And no matter where you are on the spectrum, you don't feel like you have much to offer. Jesus can use you in this movement. You feel like you have amazing things to offer. You're God's gift to the world. You are successful. You have tons of wealth. That is not a bad thing. It's just at times going to make it more difficult for you to fully rely on God. Are you with me? That's the whole idea. And let me give you a couple of examples, depending on where you find yourself. And, and, and here's what I know. I, I, I realize we have a diverse congregation, but I also realize that we're in San Francisco. And perhaps 80% of you are well-educated, making it, right? I mean, let's be honest. We have friends who didn't have it in terms of the world standard, and they're no longer allowed to live here because they just couldn't make the math meet up. But you, for now, right? Some are like, Ben, I've got my bags packed. This is it. This is my goodbye to epic this morning. I, I don't have it. So many of you are there and, but others of you, like, it's not been a great season. You're barely hanging on and wherever you are, God can use you. Whatever your past is, God can use you. Whatever you have or don't have, God can use you. But here's some great things. If you feel like you're in the camp of people that you don't really have everything the world says you should have, I want you this week to study the disciples that's what I want for you. If that's your camp, study the disciples. They didn't have much, and they left them not much they didn't have. Right? They, they didn't have much, but they left that. They had a, little, they had a tight family at least. Right? Uh, they had a, the fishing industry for a few of them. Uh, that, it helped them at least get through the day. helped put literally food on the table. Come on. But they left that, and God used them. God used them to bring thousands of people to know who Jesus is, to praise him as he is, and to be redeemed from their sin. And no matter what you think you don't possess in Christ, you lack nothing, and you need to live with confidence in that. For those of you who do have it according to the world standards, I want to encourage you to study Paul. Paul had it all. He was a Hebrew of Hebrew. He, he got into the best education that the Jews had to offer. He was passionate. He was seen as a leader no matter which side of the faith he was on at the time. But really study Philippians 3. Paul's like, here's all the reasons I should be confident. And a number of you have those reasons. But he's like, I'm going to set those things aside. If God wants to use those things that he's gifted me with, awesome. But I'm going to set those aside that I might gain Christ, he says. And so whether you don't think you have what it takes, there's a spot for you. If you're willing, you do have what it takes. Don't place your ultimate confidence in all of those things, set those things aside and place your ultimate confidence in the Jesus who wants to use you. Because no matter how amazing and extraordinary you are, no matter what your SAT score was, no matter how long you've been a partner, let me tell you this. You don't have supernatural in you on your own. You don't have to. So what typically happens for the people who don't have it or do have it, two different things. In the negative way, the people who don't have it live hopeless lives. The people who do think they have what it takes, that they can conquer anything and really may not even need God that much. Both of those are faulty. Because of Christ, we should have both. We should have both. Why are they so confident? Look at verse 20. We'll come back to this in a moment. But they get called in and, and, and the religious leaders are like, hey, you've got to quit talking about this. And here's what they say. Verse 20. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. For we can't, we, we can't stop talking about it. We've seen too much. We've seen Jesus do too much and say too much for us to stay quiet about it. Imagine what it would be for this community to be so full of people. So full of people in this community that couldn't shut up about what Jesus had done in their lives. And I don't mean in a megaphone way, Okay. Remember, if you ever hold up the megaphone on the corner of Market Street, put a different church's shirt on. All right? We'll even pay you for that. But in a way where it's just like, man, you'll never believe. I've been, we were away with about 25 leaders or so from our church over the last few days and just sitting at tables over dinner and sitting between conference sessions and just talking about what God is doing here. Just talking about, can you believe what we're seeing? Can you believe this person who knows this person, who knows this person whose faith in Christ has just started or they're coming back to it? Or can you believe that so-and-so responded to my invitation to come to church? We're seeing some unprecedented things, but what would it look like for us to go, hey, God did this yesterday? Well, wouldn't it be amazing to not have to talk about what God did 10 years ago, but what he did this week? Do you remember there wasn't a time long ago when this Peter, who now can't keep his mouth shut, couldn't open it to talk about Jesus? Do you remember that? We're talking like two months difference. Isn't that crazy? Like just a couple of months different. There was a night in which Peter's like, they said to Peter, Peter, you know Jesus, right? He's like, no way. Third time they ask him this, he begins to curse. Probably because, you know, he was a sailor Before. But now he says, with all confidence, all boldness, we've seen and we've heard too much. We can't help it. We can't help it. We cannot help it. When we see what Jesus has done and what he promises to do, we should be filled with humility and confidence. When we've seen what Jesus has done and what he promises to do, the the response should be humility and confidence. Humility because we know we aren't extraordinary on our own confidence because we know he is and he's invited us in and he's working for our good. Uh, There are a number of gauges that I look at in my life as I try to a little bit become self-aware and kind of just see where I'm at. The three of the gauges I look at are my, my, my passion, clarity and joy. But two other ones that I try to hold in balance that I look at them together are humility and confidence. And I just want to encourage you. This is a great way to just self-assess on an occasional basis, weekly, monthly, whatever. How, how's my humility and my confidence? Because if you don't have both, then you're messed up, right? If you don't have both on the one hand, you could be humiliated on the other one, you would be arrogant. Does that make sense? So it's really good to check where's your humility and where's your confidence. That's in the same sentence or the same paragraph. So I'm asking, where's my humility? Ben, are you taking credit for the things God's doing? Ben, are you exalting yourself or trying to exalt Christ? But though we're supposed to have humility, we're not supposed to have humiliation. Sometimes we can have humility but no confidence. We should have humility and confidence. Confidence says this. Ben, do you have a deep belief today that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is working in the ways he's promised to work, that he is living in you, and that he's working all things together for your good and the good of the rest of us? Does that make sense? Hold those intention. How's my humility? How's my confidence. And so let me ask you this, what most shapes your confidence or your lack of confidence? It's a really good question. Wherever you're at on the confidence scale. And again, you could be high in one area of life, low in another. But when you think about where your, conf- where your confidence levels are and whatever you're thinking about, what most shapes your confidence or your lack of confidence? Is it your present circumstances that most shape your confidence or your lack of confidence? Is it your latest success or your latest failure? Is it the potential that your company has with its stock to make you a millionaire or to make you nothing? Is it what people say about you or think about you, whether it be good things or negative things? Is your confidence mostly shaped by how much money is in the bank or how much isn't in the bank? Is your confidence and when it comes to religious things, is it mostly shaped by how clean your past is or by how dirty your past is? What most shapes your confidence and where you see in this text is the evidence issue. Look with me in verse 14. They say this to each other or Luke says this about them. Seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. They had nothing to say in opposition. They had no argument to make. Does that make sense? They saw this man day after day for years What are you going to do? And not only did they see him, they know that maybe 10, 20, 30,000 other people saw this man day after day for years, lying there, unable to walk, being carried in, begging for money. Everyone knows his story. But he's not lying there anymore. There's evidence. And they can't deny what is happening, but they still want to stop it. Look at 16 and 17. what shall we do with these men they're perplexed you see where fear's creeping up and their confidence is going down what do we do with these men for that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of jerusalem and we can what not deny it we can't deny it what are we going to say oh he was just playing the last 40 years he wasn't really crippled Verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Sometimes because we know how stories end, we can't get into the story. But I want you to get into the story. So they're sitting there. They're going, hey, we thought we stopped this with Jesus. We have to stop it now. We can't let everyone in Jerusalem know about this. <laughs> Little do they know. Jerusalem is only the, the beginning religious dudes it's going to start here and it's going to get all the way through here oh no and it's it's going to go through all of judea our entire region and then it's going to go to samaria i know you like they're inbreds to you you don't think they have anything to offer god's going to get to them and it's going to keep going so much so that there will be several hundred people in a basement in a place called san francisco california america where people from 60 nations will gather and talk about how crazy you guys were to try to stop the movement. How do you like me now? So they're like, we've got to stop this from spreading, so guys don't say anything else. And Peter's just like, we might have a problem. You guys are trying to stop this thing from spreading, and we can't help but spread it. Because when Jesus begins to do things in your lives, it's time for it to spread. It's time for it to spread. And so let me ask you this question. What evidence in your life points to the power of God? What evidence in your life points to the power of God? Now, if you're like me, I'm like, oh man, I don't have this 40-year crippled story where I was healed after four decades. That doesn't have to be your story. But is there evidence at all? did you did you go maybe from anxiety to a little bit more peace from impatient to patient from being a terrible man or woman to a kind and gentle man and loving woman did you go from gossiping about everyone to trying to build others up did you realize that your past was forgiven and it didn't get to dictate your future Where's the evidence in your life that points to the power of God? Is there any? In verse 22, Luke just commentating on this moment with the religious leaders and the apostles. He's just like, this man was over 40 years of age. There was no argument. They can try to kill the disciples and they will keep trying to do that. But they can't deny it. Where's your confidence this morning? Is it misplaced because you have so many amazing things going on according to the world? And that's great. It's just not the place to put or set your ultimate confidence. And so do you need to back out of having your ultimate confidence in those things that you thought would guarantee you? Because friends, if it hasn't come, there's a day coming, no matter how amazing you are, where you're going to realize you don't have the grip of control that you thought you had on your life. Most of us, I think, have lived long enough for that, but maybe your day's still in front of you. Or maybe you've lost control before, but you feel like you've got it back now. Or maybe for your confidence level, it's just non-existent. You don't live with much hope. You don't live with deep belief. You, don't, you, you know the back of your story. And you think the back of your story and what you don't possess and what you didn't graduate from and what you didn't get accepted into and what promotion you didn't get handed, you think those things mean that you have to live with no confidence. And though those are two ends of the spectrum, the remedy is the same. You both have to receive the grace of Jesus, what he's done for you. So those of you that think you have it all together, you're not going to get yourself to God. Those of you who think that God would want nothing to do with you, he's come and proven it already. But you have to open up your heart. You have to receive what Jesus has done for you. You have to place your confidence in him. So if you're not a Christian, I want to be real straight with you. Would you this morning consider placing your faith, your confidence, your trust in what Jesus has done for you and what he promises to do moving forward? If you've never done that, I would invite you to do that this morning, even as we pray in a moment. You can indicate on your card, let us know if that's your decision. If you are a Christian in the room, are you a functioning Christian? Even as a Christian, your confidence and my confidence can go close to non-existent, right? 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 We've realized we aren't perfect. Like that was something new. We realize we don't have it all together. We've hurt people we should have loved. We've done things at the office that certainly lacked integrity. And the reason is we weren't living with confidence in Jesus. And now we wonder if he still let us in for you. I want to encourage you to restore that confidence, not in what you're, you can do humility mixes with confidence, not humiliation, Not arrogance. What about you? What happens as the movement continues is that people realize there's no middle ground in Jerusalem. You know what I'm saying? The sides become very distinct from each other. And there are only really two sides. Those that are stepping into the current of the movement and taking it forward. And those that are trying to oppose the current of the movement. Where are you at in that? You pray with me? As I do pray for you, I really want you to consider like some of us love to take the middle ground and not be too committed, but be in enough, and that's just a terrible place to live. Space really doesn't exist. Jesus told his followers one day that you're either for me or you're against me. I want to encourage you to, man, especially in this city, there's so many things we could place our hope in. There's so many things in most of you, your resume, your bank account, your experiences, your success that you could boast in and find your confidence in. But I want to encourage you. Let God use that stuff. Absolutely. But like Paul, set that aside and place your confidence in Christ who actually has control and is working for your good and can use you. And if you're a person this morning, you just think, man, I lack everything that I need to live confidently. If you would be willing and if you would trust and if you would obey and if you would go where he sends you, you'd be stunned by what he might do with your life. They were astonished that Peter and John had such boldness, courage, and confidence because they were uneducated, common, ordinary men. God hasn't called you common or ordinary. He wants to use you. But it will take for every one of us a willingness to restore confidence, not in ourselves, but in him. God, I pray that you would do a great work in our lives this morning. Some of us need to have our confidence built in you from the ground up. Others of us need to set aside what we have had misplaced confidence in. God, lots of success and accomplishment and achievement in this setting right now. And I pray that we wouldn't look to those things. We could be grateful for them. We could have you use those things. Jesus, we want to be a part of what you are doing. Would you lead us in that with great confidence and humility? In your name, Lord. Amen. Would you stand with me?